I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, I took a look at the HBO documentary Leaving Neverland. It's a tough watch in more ways than one. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. We'll look at the brewing war in Hollywood between Steven Spielberg and Netflix. Plus... Captain Marvel is out this weekend. We'll have a review for that next week. This week, we're going to tell you about a much smaller movie that we both finally got around to seeing and strongly recommend you do it too. First, it's the news from the couch. I know death. got many faces. I look forward to seeing this one. The first trailer arrived this week for the final season of HBO's Game of Thrones. Everything you did brought you where you are now. Where you belong. The final season will only be six episodes at a rumored cost of $15 million minimum per episode. They're going to need that money because all the storylines are finally converging as we get ready for the big battle between the living and the dead. And that's going to be a lot of CG, so lots of money. Doesn't tire. Doesn't stop. Doesn't feel. The arrival of the trailer was met by excitement, but also sadness, because it more or less marks the beginning of the end of what's become arguably the most popular show on planet Earth. And Syracuse University pop culture professor Robert Thompson tells the Couch Potatoes he understands why. I mean, this thing has been going on since uh, uh, 2011, and of course you do, did have to take major breaks from it, but uh, uh, any good art, uh, one if it's good, one becomes engaged in it, and when it goes away, think of how people felt when the last Harry Potter book came out, and then the last Harry Potter movie, when Friends uh, 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 stopped, uh, Beverly Hills 90210. Um, these are generational uh, things, and of course they're not our friends or our family, uh, uh, but we do spend sometimes an awful lot of time watching these things, having conversations and engaging about them, and when no new material uh, is coming, there there is a sense sounds silly, but there is, I think, a sense of loss. Yeah, I'm going to be sad, Jeff, when the season ends, but they're going to have, like, what, three spin-off shows they're working on? Something like that. I mean, first off, TV shows are better than your friends and family. Let's get that straight. Come yes. on. Yeah, it's weird. It's, a, it's <laughs> also, I think, the last really big thing out there on TV right now. We're sort of in a different era than we were just a few years ago where there'd be these big hallmark shows where Breaking Bad or, or Mad Men or different audiences for different stuff, but people get really amped when something came back. This, I think there's nothing as big as this at all. Yeah. Coming down the pike, uh, there's Stranger Things count? Not really. I don't well, think. yeah. Maybe a little. I, yeah, I guess Stranger Things might, might be the buzziest show out there. On Friday and then by Sunday, 
everyone's seen it all, and by Tuesday, no one's talking about it anymore. Yeah. This will people will be talking about this for two months. So. Yeah, that's right. It's only going to be on for six weeks, but yeah. everyone's going to be talking about it yeah. leading up to the the return of the show, and then through the end, and then once the show ends, people will still be talking about it. And I mean, as far as that whole sense of loss goes, like. Over the last few years, how many of your favorite shows of all time have are now dearly so departed? Many, so many. Uh, most notably, I think Parks and Rec and and Dave Letterman was. Uh, I loved watching Dave Letterman. I'm, I'm getting back into Conan now, so I'm sort of getting oh, wow. back. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's a lot of a lot of them have gone away. Like the leftovers. The leftovers too. Yeah. The Americans. The Americans. It's everything. And we Just celebrated. Trying to bring me down. We celebrated. <laughs> we celebrated the anniversary of the final episode of Lost. For many years, Lost I think might get a re. Uh, it's going to get a rewatch this year, Brett. Really? Yeah, that oh. sounds like that'll be my my summer project. That is ambitious. So the eighth and final <laughs> season of Game of Thrones debuts its sixth episode run on April fourteenth on HBO. I promise to fight for the living. I intend to keep that promise. See, my big mistake is I listen to you. I love when you listen to me. Yeah, no, but then then you change. Of course I change. Everybody changes. No, I don't. I don't change. I, I only change for you. You know, I'm over here and you're over there, so I'll go over there, and then I get there, and you're somewhere else, and then I'm in the wrong place for no reason. And you know what? Really, it's not my fault. You're right. Let's do it. Just like that. Bing, bang, boom. At this point, I'd settle for the boom. <laughs> Paul and Jamie Buckman are picking up where they left off 20 years ago on Mad About You. On-demand service Spectrum Originals has ordered a limited return 12-episode series, which will bring Helen Hunt and Paul Reiser back as the New York City couple. The original series, which aired from 1992 to 99, followed the Buckmans as newlyweds through early parenthood. The sequel now will explore modern marriage from the perspective of empty nesters, and it's set to debut late this year. Now, the rub is it'll only be available in the in the U.S. to whomever has Spectrum room as their TV provider. Uh, of course, that could still change before it airs, and who knows what the situation in Canada will be. That's to be worked out as well. The 12-episode order could also grow, of course, if the show is good and enough people watch it. You're a very complex woman. You don't want the boom? Of course I want the boom. Guys always want the boom. We only made up the whole bing and a bang just to get the boom. Bing and the bang. I love the bing and the bang. I, I don't always need it. Neither do I. So then what are we arguing? We're not. All right. Did you, watch, did you watch Mad About You? Not really. Uh, <laughs> I watched a few episodes of it, and listening to that clip, they had great chemistry, yeah. and Paul Reiser really was funny, and Helen yeah. Hunt was tremendous. But what the hell is Spectrum Originals? I know. That's what I heard, thought, too. And I was like, how are they in the market to even bring something like this back to life? It was very weird. They must have some money. I think they're loosely affiliated with Time Warner, but I'm not sure. So I, I imagine... They just announced this, and they're hoping that so, something with a little more teeth in it offers to help dis- distribute it or something, because they'll need to you know, make it available in every household in America if they want it to work. Well, was it an NBC show, Mad yeah. About You? Yeah, it, was, uh, it, it bounced around a lot. I think it was briefly on their sort of must-see TV lineup, but I don't think it didn't spend most of its life on Thursday night. I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday a lot of time. You'd think with the success of the Will & Grace reboot yeah. that they've had that they would be the ones bringing this show back. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's uh, there might be other licensing stuff or something, or I don't know, maybe Paul Reiser or Helen Hunt have enemies in certain places. Who knows? Yeah. But I'm looking forward to it because I, I did watch it very quite regularly it wasn't my favorite show or anything but i did it was a comfortable hang you just you know how it is with shows you get to yep. used to the characters and you just like going back every week so and like yeah they did have a lot of laughs it also had a couple of pretty good, good serious kind of episodes too and they had i think mel brooks won emmys for guest starring as a what paul's uncle his crazy weird old uncle was. okay i remember he was nice. laugh out loud hilarious on that a lot of the time so that was one good bit of news about a favorite nbc show another good news about an NBC show, this time Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Everyone agrees it's Brooklyn Nine-Nine's best season ever. Yep, 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 yep. yep. And this Thursday, Lin-Manuel Miranda takes it to a whole new level. Afraid to use your forearms? You're not using enough elbows! Guys, those aren't the parts people feature when they dance. A new Brooklyn Nine-Nine, NBC Thursday. NBC's renewed the police sitcom for a seventh season. Funnily enough, Lin-Manuel Miranda was one of the big boosters that showed a lot of support the week the show was canceled last year, along with Oscar-winning director Guillermo del Toro. They were very vocal on Twitter about how much they loved the B99. Fox dropped it after that fifth season, of course. The internet went nuts, and NBC brought it back uh, this just two months ago for a sixth season. It's getting about four million viewers each week in the U.S. this year, which apparently is better than it was doing at Fox. By comparison, I looked it up. Mad About You, which was never a monster hit, got about 10 to 15 million viewers each week. So the times they are a changing. Yeah, Mad About You is probably one of those middling shows that yeah. was good, not great. It was yeah. just kind of a, you know, reliable performer. But yeah, if, if any network show gets 10 to 15 million views, that's considered a, a huge hit. It I think means this someone important's been assassinated. Is probably what it means. <laughs> <laughs> Would you agree with what that commercial said? Best season yet? Oh man, it's it's hard to say. I've I've found this show more than a lot of other sitcoms. Like I I have trouble differentiating what episodes happened which season like it seems like it's been very consistent all the way through yeah I, I have I'm just glad that they resurrected it because I was just I still the, the feeling of surprise and kind of head scratching like what or what is Fox doing yeah that was just bizarre I know that they don't it didn't have a huge audience but this is the kind of show where you don't necessarily need a huge audience because its fans are rabid supporters take for example one of my favorite shows of all time Supernatural consistently one of the lowest rated shows on television like when we're talking like all like 200 network shows or whatever yeah supernatural is typically in the bottom 20 percent if not the bottom 10 percent but its fan base is insane yeah so the cw is prepared to let them go as long as they want and it yeah it's not a lot of viewers but for some reason all you people all own the exact same toothbrush or something like that just from having seen the same ad whatever their sponsors are for all these years yeah and i do want to get the car that the winchester brothers drive in supernatural Natural. What kind of car is it? It's, uh, it's a no, 67 Impala, I think. Oh, that'd be cool. I'm terrible with cars yeah, and remembering too. the years. It's a black Chevy Impala. An old black Chevy? Yeah. That's cool. Nice looking car. Up next, we're going to tell you what's coming out on home video this week. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. This Christmas, you'll never believe who's coming to town. Are we ready? Ready. Yeah! Hold on. Off we go. Oh, no. I 
mean? You'd think they'd never done this before. <laughs> Disney's Mary Poppins Returns. Welcome back to the Coach Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We're looking at what's coming home this week on home video. And that, of course, is Mary Poppins Returns, starring Emily Blunt out on Digital HD Tuesday, March 12th. I sort of want to see that one. By all accounts, it looked really good. Yeah, it did okay at the box office. I think they thought it might make a bit more money than it did, but it did all right and didn't. So it it should have been a disaster, and it wasn't. So I think everyone comes out a winner on this one. For sure. Also on Digital HD on Tuesday, uh, Christian Bale stars as Dick Cheney in the Oscar-winning movie Vice. That was the one that had that really awkward acceptance speech. Oh, the hair, yeah. the makeup people. That's makeup and hairstyling. Yeah, yeah. just terrible. Uh, Barry Jenkins, If Beale Street Could Talk, comes home on Digital HD as well on Tuesday. I highly, highly recommend that one. I thought that one should have been nominated for Best Picture. On Blu-ray DVD, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Not good. I didn't see it. No, uh, I didn't see so it. So, I, I, thankfully, Warner Brothers, uh, they sent us a copy of the Blu-ray, so right. I'm excited to see it because I don't think it had the best reviews, which yeah. is probably what kept me out of the theaters because it came out, I think, in November, and that's where it starts to get into that glut of there's a lot of movies. Yeah, and yeah. I'm just, you know, life is busy as you approach the holidays, so I just didn't bother. But I will definitely pop that disc into my Blu-ray player soon. Uh, Mortal Engines comes out. That was a big bomb. And then Green Book, the Best Picture winner at the Oscars, comes home on Blu-ray. Blu-ray DVD on Tuesday as well. If you like that, you can get it. If you haven't seen it yet, you can check it out. All right. So one of the big stories this week just caught everyone off guard. Yeah, sadly, it was the death of Luke Perry. I've seen that look before. It's the same one you have. We can't go down this road again. Why not? I think because I don't want to ruin this feeling that's between us now. Yeah, you're right. Probably better off as just friends. Close friends. The closest. Known by millions of fans, of course, as Dylan McKay on the hit TV show Beverly Hills 90210 in the 90s. Perry died after suffering a massive stroke at age 52. He was most recently on Riverdale, which I don't watch. Um, did you watch 90210? Oh, yeah. On? Same here. Like hardcore. Oh, I love that show. I may or may not have taught myself how to play this song on guitar. Good for you. <laughs> well, it's got such a catchy lick. I know. Yeah. And I was always, oh, my buddies were like, it was, I was just old enough and... You know, because you're like a dude in grade nine or whatever. It's like it wasn't cool for me to watch 90210. Oh, but I had a little sister who liked it. So, oh yeah, oh we only got one TV. We got to watch 90210. <laughs> I was very into it for a while until uh, at least until they went to college for a couple of years, and then I think I sort of fell off it before the show ended. But has there ever been a bigger high school show ever? And it's hard to tell because because we were the exact right age for 90210 when it was on, right? Yeah. So, so I'm not sure about that, but it does feel like it's if you asked anyone high school drama. I this feel is like the first it's answer. The, yeah, I think I figure it's it's the benchmark because in terms of dramas in the '80s. The, the shows in the 80s, and I'm just going off the top of my head here, but you had your sitcoms and lots of great family sitcoms in the in the 80s, like Family Ties and Growing Pains and Perfect yeah. Strangers and Who's the Boss, but then all the dramas were, weren't they mostly like cop shows and Knight Rider? So I don't think there yeah. actually was a drama that was specifically aimed at younger people. So right. I think 90210 kind of set the mark. And, and then since then, you've had what Dawson's Creek is one that comes to mind. And the entire CW, right? Like a whole network sprang up out of people going, oh, 
there's an appetite for this sort of stuff. Yeah, true. And there needn't only be one high school that we visit. There can be a f- one in every city in the country. So, yeah. So that was that was that was a bit. That was quite the shock to uh, have to lose Luke Perry this week. That was weird. A lot of people were really bummed out about that. Well, and it was especially shocking because the news came right on the heels of the. The, the announcement from Fox that they are bringing 90210 back yeah, this definitely. summer for a limited release or a limited series where the actors from the original series are coming back to play themselves and they're going to the series is going to be about them getting together to maybe do a reboot so they're oh, going to yeah. play like heightened kind of kookier versions of themselves and most of the original <clears> cast <throat> was in Shen Doherty had not yet signed on and Luke Perry had not yet signed on right. and then the next day, I think it yeah. was, we learned that he had that massive stroke, and then uh, he died. And of course, uh, sideburns. Yeah, I wrote in the note sideburns. I've always thought sideburns were cool. As long as you've known me, you've probably never seen me like I got a beard now. Yeah. But when I didn't have a beard, I always had sideburns. Yep. I'm almost certain it's because of 90210. Hundred percent, it is. Luke Perry and uh, Jason Priestley. Those guys were the kings of sideburns. I was like, that's awesome. And as soon as I was physically able to grow them, I did, and I've never looked back. Yeah, I remember in school, no one had sideburns, and then 90210 became popular, and suddenly everybody had sideburns. I mean, as best as we could, because I was in, like, early high school, I think, when (laughs) 90210 started. Some sad-looking sideburns. Yeah. Up next, Steven Spielberg takes on Netflix. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He is Brett. And there is a battle of sorts brewing between Netflix... And the biggest name in Hollywood, Steven Spielberg. This ain't gonna be easy. Not as easy as it used to be. Phone home. I don't know anything about Ryan. I don't care. Man means nothing to me. It's just a name. Welcome to Jurassic Park. This shark, swallow you whole. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a flying saucer. Steven Spielberg wants the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences, those are the folks that hand out the Oscars, to ban Netflix movies from being eligible for the awards. At heart, Spielberg's an old-fashioned guy. He's also filthy rich, and the traditional movie system will pay him much more than Netflix ever could. He gets about 60% of his movies' grosses. So he has reason to want to keep things the old way, but, I mean, he really does know because, A, how much more money could he possibly need, and, B, he's 72. He has much more career behind him than in front of him. Nevertheless, he is on the board at the Academy and still has a lot of clout in Hollywood. They are going to discuss it at a board meeting later this month. He told a British TV network last year, quote, Once you commit to a TV format, you're a TV movie. He also refuses to do DVD commentaries for his movie because he thinks it's just sacrilege to talk over top of the movie. So, as greedy as he may seem, he is also genuinely a traditionalist. And I think I agree with him as far as I do believe the theater is the best way to see a movie as opposed to at home. Of course, there are a lot of good reasons to side with Netflix, especially as it pertains to the Oscars. More people have access to an Oscar-nominated Netflix movie, although I don't know a lot of people that bothered checking out Roma this year. Netflix also offers more opportunities to more writers, directors, actors, although who knows how much longer that gravy train will last because they do spend an awful lot of money, it seems, and you just can't imagine that sort of spending going on forever. But I would wager that old Spielberg is going to end up on the wrong side of history on this one, and it, it's a weird fight. It's two powerhouses, uh, with opposing views. Yeah, and how many times do movies, and I realize that movies often open 
limited, like, say, New York and L.A. Yep. Uh, at the end of December so yep. that they can be eligible for the Oscars, only to then have an expanded run in the new year. But sometimes movies... Just do that. They do New York and L.A. They're for a week. They're eligible for the Oscars, and that's that. They're they're yeah. not. A, they they don't go for a wide release. They never show up in your town, your city, unless until the week after they win. If they win a bunch or something, something like that. Yeah. So that's weird in in and of itself. And I mean, how many other Oscar movies that do get? A release where it is just for two weeks back in September or something like that. Yep. But it was such a minor thing that no one ever saw it. Or it's like a British movie that just never came to America until it was too late, kind of thing. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know that that holds water. I, I gotta think Spielberg thinks it's just it's the money that's bugging him or something. But yeah, it could be. And I, I sort of respect that he's sticking to his guns on this and trying to get people to go to the movies because. We both love movies, yeah. and we both watch a lot of TV and movies at home, but every time I go see a movie, and it doesn't matter if I go see five movies in a year, ten movies, twenty movies, there was one year where I think my I saw 56 movies in theater, yeah. and every time... It it always felt it felt kind of like going home, sort of. Right? Like it, there's yeah. just something special about being in a movie theater, seeing the big screen, having that popcorn. It's that giant screen, and yeah, the popcorn helps. It's also there's no distractions. Every time I watch a movie at home, I watch Cliffhanger on Netflix this week, the yeah. Stallone movie, because I hadn't seen it in 25 years, and, but I stopped it 15 times. To check my phone or go to the bathroom or go to the kitchen or anything else that distracted me. It's a two-hour movie. It took me three and a half hours to watch it, even though I was enjoying it. So I, I like I need to go to the theater to save time. What know? about people in the theater who are distracting you? Like people who are talking or kicking your seat or whatever. Yeah, that... You know what? We try to go to the recliner seat theaters now, yeah. and you don't get that distraction as much. It's just the way you're laying down there, it's harder... Well, people can't kick your seat. Yeah. And even if people are on their phone or roll ahead of you, you can't really tell. That's true. So. Hey, good point on the, the recliner seats at Landmark Cinemas. They really nailed it with that yeah. stuff. And I, I am exactly the same way when I'm trying to watch something. I actually started to watch an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine this week. It was the one where the Pontiac Bandit may or may not have returned. Right. I got five minutes in because I paused it to Google something and suddenly 45 minutes had passed and I realized I got to go to bed because I'm exhausted. So I didn't watch it. And yeah, yeah it takes me, I, I think that's maybe one of the reasons why I don't often watch movies at home anymore because a two hour endeavor becomes a four, maybe a five hour adventure. Yeah. So that's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's it's definitely a distraction. I, I it only helps if I'm watching like The Big Lebowski, where I've seen it a thousand times, and then I just let it roll while I'm doing everything else, and it's just sort of on there. But also, that's not a great way to watch a movie. So yeah, so this is something will happen. Like I said, they got a board meeting on the 18th or 19th of March, and we'll we'll see what happens. I can't imagine the Oscars are going to shut Netflix out though, just because Netflix is becoming such a power player in Hollywood. Yeah. Hey, while we on the subject of movies, mm -hmm. let's talk about this movie that we both happened to watch. You watched it, I think, more recently than I did. I watched it over the holidays. It was on my list of things that I wanted to talk about, and we never quite got to it. Yeah. And then you just happened to watch it independently. Yeah. Uh, it's the John Cho thriller, Searching. 911, what's your emergency? I'm calling to report a missing person. Okay, who is this regarding? My daughter. Do you mind answering some questions for me to help? Uh... When was the last time you saw her? She has friends, right? She gets a fake ID. She sends money to herself. What does this mean? 
Doesn't make sense. When's the last time you saw her? What's your emergency? When's the last time you saw her? Where were you the night my father went missing? Searching came out last August, near the end of August. In the dog days of summer, they don't really put out a lot of big movies in. Uh, it only made $26 million in North America, $75 million worldwide, so not bad, and it's at 92% still on Rotten Tomatoes. Probably should have gotten a screenplay nomination at the Oscars, I would think. Uh, it was it's a cool concept movie. It's a thriller about a dad, John Cho, of Harold and Kumar and Star Trek fame. <clears throat> Excuse me, searching for his missing daughter. He's aided in his search by Deborah Messing, the detective the police put on the case. The gimmick is all the footage we see is quote unquote screen footage, FaceTime and other cyber chat stuff on either phones or computers, computer screen stuff. There's also surveillance footage and TV news footage. It took a lot of pre production for them to figure out how to make this all work, and they built all the stuff we see from scratch, i.e., they didn't like point a camera at a Facebook page. They just coded the page from scratch to so everything that pops up is by design. An impressive feat, uh, but it doesn't mean Jack at the movie sucks, and the movie's pretty great. It's a terrific mystery with a lot of red herrings as well as a lot of clues. Afterwards, looking back on it, my girlfriend and I decided that, you know, if we had actually wanted to, we could have solved it. We picked up on at least three different things that were a part of the end solution, and we're very, very proud of ourselves because I'm usually not that smart. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, and all that sleuthing made the viewing experience a memorable one. It was so much fun to watch. I, I am glad I saw this one at home and not in theater because I was uh, spouting off theories left and right, and we were pointing stuff out to each other, and, well, you know, you're not supposed to talk out loud in the theater. So uh, the, for a home viewing experience, this was actually, I think, better than in the theater. I do wish we had actually paused it a few times to stop and really think about some stuff and discuss it because we could have cracked it entirely. The only drawback, I would say, is uh, they sort of cheat a few times because they're hamstrung by the gimmicky premise. Almost all the news footage they show would simply never happen like that in real life. And there are a few other instances where his cyber sleuthing was just not believable. Or he leaves his desktop camera on for no reason other than we, the audience, need something to look at. But an ambitious project, a well-told mystery, great acting, especially uh, Cho really delivers on this one. Four couch cushions out of five for searching. Yeah, Cho was tremendous in this. Deborah Messing, I, I thought was, I don't know, I thought she was kind of weak. Was it just me? I know you like Deborah Messing, so I, I did. Well, I've not seen her in a whole lot of stuff. I do like her, though. I thought she, I thought she was fine as the cup. Yeah, but yeah, she didn't get a whole lot of, to stretch with there. But I, I pretty much agree with everything you said on this one, Jeff. I loved the gimmick in this, and it was, it wasn't just a gimmick. You know, there, there have been other films, like for example, that uh, was it Hardcore Henry, I think is what it was called. Just confirming, but that's Soul the one where stuff. and the, the one with the teens and the bullying, right? That's like a horror movie, though teens and the bullying did it's like it's all computer stuff or unfriended or something like that oh yeah that's right yeah the uh oh that, well, that was a horror movie yeah 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 they, they, were they, but it was all computer screen stuff right yeah it was everybody in the in a video chat yeah and with hardcore henry that was the movie where the entire film was shot from per, first like it was a first person shooter video game and i, oh, right, I right. thought it would be cool and it was cool like as a music video but as a feature film i it didn't work because it was way too gimmicky so i kind of feared that's what we would be looking at hmm. with searching. It worked. Very cool movie. Yeah. It's, I ch- checked just a moment ago. It's not available on Netflix or Crave, but I rented it for like five bucks yeah. on YouTube, I think. Exactly. So uh, you can get it on YouTube or iTunes or Google Play or wherever you can rent movies, wherever you get your digital HD titles. Check it out. I gave it, uh, you gave it four, na- four couch cushions? Yep. I think I would agree with that assessment. Four couch cushions out of five right for searching. Up next, 
want to tell you about the new HBO documentary about Michael Jackson leaving Neverland. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes. And this week, I checked out the new HBO documentary that has much of the world once again talking about Michael Jackson and sexual abuse leaving Neverland. There's no thoughts of this is wrong or anything like that. He told me if they ever found out what we were doing, he and I would go to jail for the rest of our lives. Secrets will eat you up. You feel so alone. I want to be able to speak the truth as loud as I had to speak the lie for so long. Leaving Neverland tells us about how, at the height of his stardom, Jackson started long-running relationships with two boys, aged 7 and 10. Now in their 30s, Wade Robson and James Safechuck tell the story of how they were sexually abused by Jackson. For a quick recap, in 1993, Jackson was accused of sexually molesting 13-year-old Jordan Chandler. He denied those claims, settled the civil case out of court for a payment of 15 million bucks. In 2005, following further allegations, Jackson was acquitted of child sexual abuse. The men featured in this documentary were not involved in either of those cases, so this stuff is new. And HBO, pretty happy with the results in terms of its audience. It's the third largest documentary audience for the premium cable channel in a decade wow. uh, so that's uh, they were pretty happy about that and just seeing here part one of Leaving Neverland averaged 1.9 1.29 million viewers for its first airing on Sunday night and that's the third largest audience for an HBO doc this decade behind Going Clear Scientology and the Prison of Belief which was 1.7 million and then Bright Lights starring Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds which was 1.6 million I will confess I only watched the first part. It's a two-parter, four hours. I think it's like 236 minutes total. And then there's the Oprah Winfrey panel discussion after Neverland. So I only watched one part. And I feel bad saying this, but I'm going to say this because I'm I'm not here to talk so much about the content. Right. I'm here to talk about whether or not this was or the viewing experience. And I think basically what I've learned here is that documentaries and I really generally don't get along. <laughs> well, it sounds like it's too long. Well, and, and I think that's the thing. I like documentaries. I think what happened is I got so used to watching documentaries on DVDs, yeah. which are always like, they're like 30-minute featurettes, and then you turn them off, and then you can go, then it's something new. It's always <clears throat> sort of cycling into something new. Even those Lord of the Rings with that have like 13 hours of bonus features right. or whatever, they're all sort of short featurettes yeah. that add up, to, but they're always different things. So like I recently watched that Ted Bundy documentary, which I thought was okay, and... I watched that Evil Genius documentary last spring, which I thought was okay. And in this case, it was very well made, and the two men featured are very compelling. And the, I think it well, it was it was tough because the allegations they're making about Michael Jackson are crazy. Like if if it's true, wow, I feel awful for those kids, uh, for those men, and what they've had to endure for their whole life. But I just. I honestly, I got bored, I, and I, I feel like a monster saying that, <laughs> given the, the, the content of this documentary, but I think it just, I realized, documentaries, not for me. So if you like documentaries, 
then I would certainly check this out as long as you're prepared for a difficult watch, especially if you're like me and you grew up on Michael Jackson. Yeah. And I'm also wondering if that's part of it. Like, if there's a part of me in my brain that's just not allowing me to watch this objectively. I don't think that's the case. I think I just, given what we do, like, just to take you behind the curtain quickly, Jeff and I work at 680 CJOB in Winnipeg. Couch Potatoes is on across the country in Vancouver, Kamloops, Edmonton, Calgary, Hamilton, and London. And uh, Jeff is our morning news anchor. I co-host our morning show. So we... Our job is information, so I think when I go home, I like that's why I like shows like Supernatural. Something entertaining and something, yeah, that does, doesn't sound like it's going to end up in a newscast. Yeah, something yeah. escapist. So yeah, absolutely. If you like docs, check it out. All right. This week also saw the 25th anniversary of Canadian comedy star John Candy's death. Why? What? That's it. If I don't clear my sinuses, I'll snore all night. Gee, if your kid spills his milk, what do you do, slap him in the head? What? 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 What is that supposed to mean? You're not a very tolerant person. Look, you've been under my skin since New York, starting with ripping off my cab. God, you're a tight ass. How'd you like a mouthful of teeth? Oh, and hostile, too. Nice personality combination, hostile and intolerant. That's borderline criminal. John Candy died March 4th, 1994, after suffering a heart attack while shooting Wagons East in Mexico. He was 43, and his death still stings. I've never met anyone who didn't like him. Honestly, mention John Candy to anyone, and they will smile. His legacy lives on through the impact of the sketch comedy shows SCTV, of course, and revered films like Splash, Uncle Buck, Planes, Train, Audience, Planes Trains, and Automobiles, which was a clip we just heard. His road trip with Steve Martin in that. That's one of my all-time favorite comedies. I also did catch Uncle Buck again this week. Hadn't seen it since the 90s. It holds up extremely well. Candy's amazing in it. I laughed out loud a lot, especially the scenes with him and little Macaulay Culkin and Gabby Hoffman were just terrific. Uh, it's so many great movies. Spaceballs, I think, is another great one. The Great Outdoors was a family favorite, all as well as Summer Rental, Armed and Dangerous, Brewster's Millions, Cool Runnings, and even a dramatic turn in JFK. It just you, couldn't, you just can't go wrong with John Candy. It's, I still miss that guy. Imagine how many great great movies he could have had with another 20 years. I've never seen JFK. I had no idea he was in it. He's that got might... a small part in it, but he's he's really good. He plays oh. like a, a New Orleans, a sweaty New Orleans guy. Oh, man, yeah. It, it, it was sad when John Candy went. You're right. He, maybe the most one of the most likable actors ever. Absolutely. That's all the time we've got. Next week, a review of Captain Marvel. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get podcasts. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.